Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. The second wave of court documents related to Jeffrey Epstein has been unsealed. Big names in the release include former President Bill Clinton and the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. What we know about them. New evidence in the Biden family's alleged influence peddling scheme. A legal foundation says documents show Hunter Biden abused his connection to then Vice President Joe Biden for his own gain. A new report from the House Democrats accusing former President Trump of improperly profiting from his presidency. How the Trump Organization responds. Millions of dollars swindled, thousands of Americans fall victim. Burma-based gangs are forcing trafficking victims to engage in cross-border fraud. Some of them are speaking out. A pharma company that pinned its hopes on a COVID-19 drug files for bankruptcy. Find out what went wrong. Countries across Europe are affected by heavy flooding this week. Find out why the dangers are still high, although water is now subsiding. And a new way to calm anxiety through what you eat. We'll speak to a nutritional psychiatrist to learn how mental and physical health are connected. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. More Jeffrey Epstein-related court filings were unsealed last night. The release stems from a lawsuit related to the convicted pedophile who died in jail before facing trial on federal sex trafficking charges. The second batch is made up of 19 documents after 40 were disclosed on Wednesday. Names include Epstein's accusers, prominent business people, politicians, and more. Appearing in the documents doesn't necessarily imply wrongdoing as Epstein was part of high-profile circles. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the second release. Being named in the unsealed documents does not necessarily mean someone was accused of or committed wrongdoing. Well-known names in Thursday's release include former President Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, renowned lawyer Alan Dershowitz, and the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Clinton is not accused of wrongdoing, but came up in an unsealed email from 2011 between UK reporter Sharon Churcher and Epstein accuser Virginia Gouffre. Court filings show Gouffre alleged Clinton pressured Vanity Fair magazine not to write sex trafficking articles about Epstein. Gouffre says in the email that she was concerned about sharing her story because, quote, B. Clinton walked into VF and threatened them about his good friend J.E. Vanity Fair's former editor, Graydon Carter, told CNN the incident categorically did not happen. A Clinton spokesman said he had no new comment and that it had been nearly 20 years since President Clinton last had contact with Epstein. Epstein accuser Johanna Schoberg alleged to have met late pop star Michael Jackson at Epstein's house in Palm Beach. She did not accuse him of any wrongdoing. Some names are still redacted in the unsealed documents. One example is a 2011 email sent by Churcher to a blacked-out recipient. It makes reference to someone being trafficked to, quote, men including two of the world's most respected politicians. That's followed by two names covered by solid black bars. Arthur A. Dalla, a lawyer for Epstein-associated and convicted sex trafficker Jelaine Maxwell, told News Nation Tuesday his client has nothing to say about the filings being rolled out, stating the overall crime is all about men abusing women for a long period of time, but only one person is in jail, Maxwell. Anti-sex trafficking advocate Jack O'Buyans told NTD the spirit of the release is wrong, as it was only released as part of a defamation settlement. The documents are not being released to combat human trafficking. The documents are not necessarily released to to subpoena and prosecute 
Buyun says it's now up to prosecutors and plaintiffs to dig deeper and investigate Epstein's relationships. To now pick up these little information bits that are bleeding out, like Ghislaine Maxwell flying her helicopter picking up, you know, Bill Clinton. New information. Okay, let's go corroborate that little piece of information. But it's not like there's a trove of district attorneys standing ready to prosecute. Buyan's questions why there's never been a single buyer on a witness stand, despite Epstein's sex trafficking incarceration and Maxwell's conviction. That doesn't make sense. You can't say they trafficked human beings, but there are no buyers. There is no trafficking without buyers. It's a, it's a crime of supply and demand, and because the demand is so high, there was supply. And that's what the names should lead to. More Epstein-related documents are expected to be unsealed in the coming days. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Israel's defense minister outlined some plans for the next phase of the war in Gaza yesterday. The strategy includes a more targeted approach in the north with a focus on targeting Hamas leaders in the south. The country's defense minister stated northern operations would include air and ground strikes, raids and special forces operations. It would also include destroying tunnels. He also said Gaza would be run by Palestinians after the war as long as there was no threat to Israel. Israel's military has been releasing some reservists so they can go back to their jobs. The IDF says it struck over 100 targets across Gaza overnight. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is back in the Middle East in an effort to ease tensions. The diplomatic trip is expected to focus on preventing the conflict from widening. Stops include Israel, Turkey, Qatar, Egypt and Jordan. This is Blinken's fourth trip to the region in three months. Why are terrorists attacking terrorist backers? ISIS-K claimed responsibility for this week's deadly bombing in Iran. For answers, we're joined by Lee Smith, author of The Strong Horse, Power Politics, and the Clash of Arab Civilizations. Lee's also the host of Over the Target on Epic TV. Lee, Iran has battled with ISIS for years. What's behind this ongoing conflict? Well, I mean, it's uh, it's part of the sectarian struggle going on in the region. So, of course, Iran is at the head of a CLA, um, but also co uh, includes different Sunni militant organizations like Hamas, right? But primarily, it's the Shia bloc. And then you have, when we have I uh, ISIS, we're talking about a Sunni faction there. So a lot of us do with a fight that we've seen going for thousands of years in the Middle East. Um, but of course, there are new um, there are new formulations as well. And so we add the nation state as well, which is what Iran is. And ISIS, of course, is a, a non-state actor. We have to be careful, though, when we're talking about Islamic State, because what the Islamic State operations look like um, in a place like Iran. We know what they look like in Syria or Iraq, where they're drawing on a very heavy Sunni population. But what happened in Iran, we're waiting for more clarification on that. Who are the different operatives? Who were they used, drawn from which population? Because there's not, um, you know, the, 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 the majority population inside Iran is Shia, not Sunni. And Lee, why did ISIS choose to conduct this attack on the fourth anniversary of Qasem Soleimani's death? Well, Qasem Soleimani targeted many people in the Middle East. He targeted American troops. He's 
he ran a number of different operations. He ran Hezbollah operations uh, as well as Iranian operations against Israel. This was um, from Lebanon through Hezbollah and Syria as well, but also Qasem Soleimani led the war against Sunnis in Syria as well as the war against uh, Sunnis in Iraq as well. So it's not just the United States who had, uh, or Israel, that had a problem with Qasem Soleimani's war. This is not to say that the Islamic State is on the same side as Israel or as the United States. It is to point out, however, that Qasem Soleimani's war, Iran's war, is uh, very broad around the region, in fact, around the world, right? So that's why there are lots of people who headed out for Qasem Soleimani and for the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. Now, Lee, Iran vows a harsh response to this bombing. bombing. What could that response look like? I mean, again, that's why we'll have to wait and see where uh, where these operatives may have been drawn from. Look, and, 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 and we... We'd, we have to, anytime there's an attribution of responsibility for an act of terror, we have to be very careful, uh, first of all, accepting, um, accepting the attribution. And then if we do accept the attribution, see again exactly where it comes from. Was this an operation that was um, planned inside of Syria, planned inside of Iraq, planned inside of Iran? I, I mean, that's, that's what we'll have to find out. And the Iranians, um, or rather the uh, Iranian regime, they will have their own, whether they're actually, if there is retribution, whether they will actually go after the actual people who did it or they will pick another target. I mean, that also remains to be seen. And how does this bombing in Iran affect the Israel-Hamas war? Uh, I mean, it, it, it doesn't. It's just part of Iran's larger, part of Iran's larger war around the region. And that, of course, includes uh, its alliance with the Houthis, who have basically stopped shipping in the Red Sea right now. So we can see that the Iranians, again, are waging a very, very large war around the world. It's not just in the Middle East, right? It, inclu it includes the Red Sea now, and this affects all of us around the world, including here in the United States. This is Iran's war, sometime against Sunni, uh, against extreme Sunni factions like the Islamic State, at other times against nation states like the U.S., like Israel. And remember, who else is hurt by... Uh, by closing Red Sea shipping, right? These ships are supposed to go through the Suez Canal. This is also hurting Egypt. So it's just important to keep in mind the size and scope of Iran's war. All right, Lee Smith, author of The Strong Horse, Power Politics and the Clash of Arab Civilizations. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Coming up, former President Trump is reportedly set to attend another court hearing next week find out what his lawyers plan to say in the federal case. And Google is taking heat for its labor practices. Find out about a new ruling by a federal agency. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. New evidence in the Biden family's alleged influence peddling scheme. A legal foundation says new documents show the Biden family didn't separate private business dealings from official public affairs. During Biden's time as vice president, his son, Hunter Biden, was involved in planning for official state visits. 
That included visits from Chinese, German, and Turkish officials. America First Legal has received new records. The foundation says the records suggest the president's son leveraged his involvement. Hunter Biden allegedly influenced his father's meetings and calendar for his own personal gain. For example, when then-Vice President Biden allegedly agreed to give a keynote speech at an event, the event was hosted by an organization whose board included his son. Hunter Biden allegedly lobbied his father to accept the invitation. Now some House Democrats are accusing former President Trump of improperly profiting from his presidency as well. The Trump Organization denied wrongdoing. Democrats on the House Oversight Committee published a report on Thursday. They assert that Trump's businesses took in at least an estimated $7.8 million from 20 foreign governments during his term in violation of the Constitution. The outline payments mostly included spending on rent at the Trump Tower and Trump World Tower both in New York. They also included stays at the Trump International Hotels in Washington, D.C. and Las Vegas. The report also alleged that Trump allowed those payments to influence his foreign policy moves. A Trump Organization spokesperson told the Epic Times, quote, that narrative is insane. The spokesperson noted that the Trump Organization can't prevent people from making reservations through third-party booking websites. And former President Trump is reportedly set to appear in court again in the federal election case against him. The court is probing whether Trump can be prosecuted in the case or not. The election interference trial is scheduled to start in March. However, the court is still dealing with the question whether Trump can even be prosecuted for the allegations against him. Special counsel Jack Smith alleges Trump tried to illegally overturn the 2020 election. Lawyers for the former president, however, say Trump was still in office at the time and thus enjoys presidential immunity. They also point out that he was not impeached and convicted by Congress. NBC reports the court is set to hear those arguments on Tuesday with Trump attending in person. Former first son Eric Trump was in Iowa yesterday at a MAGA campaign event in support of his dad. The younger Trump emphasized what he sees as the accomplishments of his father's administration. He cited the low unemployment across racial and gender lines and celebrated what he called the largest tax cuts in U.S. history. He also said there was peace in the Middle East under former President Trump and that his father fought for health and religious freedom. Eric Trump then got his dad on the phone, seeming to please those in attendance. Say hi to the entire crowd. Well, I just want to thank everybody for being so loyal, for being so wonderful. And always remember, we got the farmers of Iowa, $28 billion. That's a lot of money. And I can't think about Joe Biden doing that. He wouldn't even think about it. So I just want to say I, I look forward to seeing you on Friday. We love you all. And I hope my son is doing a great job because he always has done a good job. That's part of a last-minute push by Trump in Iowa. The first in the nation caucuses there are set for January 15th. Trump is scheduled to, put, to speak at 11 events there before the contest begins. For a closer look at what's behind Trump's strategy in Iowa, I spoke with Republican strategist and former Trump advisory board member Jason Meister. Jason Meister, thank you for joining us. What's behind Trump's strategy in Iowa? Thanks for having me. Look, I think that you can see clearly the Democrat strategy is not to beat Trump at the ballot box, but instead to remove him via the 14th Amendment on, on ballots, on state ballots, as well as keep him in courtrooms like in downtown New York City. So I think 
whenever Trump has an opportunity to get in front of the American people and make his case to them, he's going to. And right now, that's what he's doing in Iowa as we wrap up that primary. And how does Trump's strategy compare to uh, the strategy of other GOP candidates in Iowa? Yeah, look, I think at this point, the primary is over. Uh, you have all these other candidates are really just fighting for second place at this point, but Trump is beating everyone like a drum. He's up 50, 60 points, and he's beating even Joe Biden in every swing state right now. I, I think actually five out of the six swing states, uh, soon to be six out of six. I think what there's a really a political realignment happening in this country. If you look at blacks, you look at Hispanics, you look at younger voters, which Trump is dominating right now. I think Americans remember the days when they would wake up in the morning to some tweets threatening Kim Jong-un, uh, Qasem Soleimani, and al-Baghdadi while they sipped their morning coffee, applied for a 2.75% mortgage rate, and filled up their gas tank with $1.89, and then went about the rest of their day without worrying about nuclear war. So I think that's what's happening in this country. Now, you talked about the strength of Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign before we were talking earlier. Um, compared to, say, Nikki Haley's or Ron DeSantis. Uh, say a bit more about that. Sure. Uh, I think Vivek Ramaswamy has understood the lane in which he needs to run in, which is to embrace MAGA, uh, uh, speak highly of President Trump, who happens to be an unbelievable president, probably the best president in my lifetime. And he understands how to sort of try to get a little bit of those voters to, to support him. Uh, I think Vivek's running a, a, a spectacular campaign. I think he also has done a great job of putting the media in their place. I mean, they've lied to us about pr pretty much everything over the last couple of years, whether it's the COVID origins, whether it was uh, Justice Kavanaugh, uh, whether it was Russia collusion, uh, mRNA vaccines. He's been putting them in their place, and I've, I've actually enjoyed watching it. Now, I want to look at this. Um, if Trump wins the GOP nomination, um, he's saying he'll make a heavy play for states like New York, New Jersey, Virginia, New Mexico, and Minnesota. Why does he think these blue areas are viable targets for his campaign? Sure. Uh, Donald Trump understands that in 2016, he ran on immigration. And if you look at the the facilitation of this administration, the Biden administration, facilitating an invasion. That's what this is, an invasion of our country. And you look at some of these cities like New York City, you look at states like New Jersey, we are getting flooded. I can tell you I'm here sitting here in Manhattan right now. We're getting flooded with illegal immigrants, and it's all on purpose. Uh, Democrats believe that that, is their ability, that will be their ability to win elections in the future. And I think Trump's running on that. And I think he, he knows that there's enough crime and enough illegal immigration in these states that I think he can get some moderate Democrats and some independents to come over to his way. All right, Jason Meisters, thank you so much and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for having me. Republican presidential candidates react to Thursday's high school shooting in Iowa. Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley both blaming the shootings on mental health issues. It is time that we deal with this in the way that we should deal with this. Instead of living in fear, let's do something about it. We have got to deal with the cancer that is mental health. We have to. During her CNN town hall Thursday night, Haley said the nation needs mental health reform and better security for schools. During a meeting with voters in Perry, Iowa, following the shooting, 
Ramaswamy slammed calls for stricter control over gun access. He called them knee-jerk policy reactions. The presidential candidate said rather than guns, the real problem is the, quote, ailment at the heart and soul of our nation and our culture. He also agreed with a voter who said the problem is mental health. A COVID-19 drug developer has filed for voluntary bankruptcy. The company Humanigen was struggling to get regulatory approval for its COVID-19 treatment. The California-based company was once controlled by convicted pharma executive Martin Schreckley. Humanigen had pinned its hopes on its COVID-19 drug Lenzilumab, but the FDA declined emergency use authorization for it in 2021. The company had inked several contracts to manufacture the antibody medicine, but the FDA said it was unable to overlook the potential risks. Drug maker Eli Lilly says it's against using its drugs Zepbound and Monjaro for cosmetic weight loss. The drugs are part of the booming new class of medicines being taken to shed pounds. In an open letter on its website, it said the drugs are for treating serious diseases. It says they are not approved for and should not be used for cosmetic weight loss. It also said it doesn't promote or encourage the use of any of its medications outside of what the Food and Drug Administration has approved them for. Manjaro is approved for people with type 2 diabetes. Zepbound is newly approved for people who are obese or for overweight people with a weight-related health conditions such as high cholesterol or high blood pressure. Google said it shouldn't be considered the employer of those workers who are provided by a staffing company. In a Wednesday decision, the National Labor Relations Board rejected that argument. The group of YouTube music workers voted 41-0 to zero last April to join the Alphabet Workers Union. The Labor Board in July upheld the election results. It rejected Google's claim that it doesn't have enough control over the workers and said Google is a joint employer that must bargain with their union. The U.S. federal authority is now backing that up. More on Google. The company is rolling out a test to eliminate cookies that track your behavior in its new Chrome browser. Cookies are the little programs that track you on the internet and why you may see an ad for jeans seconds after you search for them. Instead of using cookies, Google has its own software tools designed to replace them. The company wants to get rid of cookies in Chrome by the end of the year. Some are cheering the change, while others worry Google could corner the market for targeted advertising by eliminating third-party cookies. For this initial test rollout, only 1% of Google Chrome users will be impacted. And Verizon customers could get $100 thanks to the settlement of a class action lawsuit. The lawsuit alleged Verizon was charging customers undisclosed administration fees in a, quote, deceptive and unfair manner. Verizon denies any wrongdoing, but agreed to pay $100 million to settle the lawsuit. Current and former customers charged administrative fees between January 1st, 2016 and November 8th of 2023, are eligible to receive up to $100. Those who are eligible will be notified via email or will receive a letter in the mail, but you must file for a claim by April 15th to receive a payment. Coming up, Russian hackers have been inside a Ukrainian telecom giant for months. A Ukrainian official tells us more about the most high-profile Russian hack since the war broke out. And Blade Runner sprinter Oscar Pistorius is now a free man after serving more than a decade for killing his girlfriend. 
What does the future hold for the former Olympian? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Thank you for staying with us. Many car thieves continue to prey on certain older Kia and Hyundai models. Theft insurance claims for these vulnerable vehicles shot up more than 1,000% between 2020 and 2023, according to the Highway Loss Data Institute. The group says some Hyundai and Kia models from 2015 to 2019 aren't equipped with basic prevention technology like electric immobilizers. And after social media voices showing how to illegally, videos showing how to illegally start these cars went viral, thefts went up more. Hyundai and Kia recently agreed to a $200 million settlement with millions of car owners regarding the lack of security software. Both automakers say they've been working alongside local police departments to hand out steering locks to drivers of affected models. And criminal gangs apparently based in war-torn Burma, also known as Myanmar, are scamming millions of dollars online from thousands of unsuspecting Americans. And they're forcing human trafficking victims to do their dirty work. A CNN correspondent filed this report from Thailand border. <laughs> Please help me, Jessica. Please help me. It's been a living hell. In Northern California, CY is piecing together his life after losing more than a million dollars in a crypto scam. I can never forget or forgive myself losing that kind of money. CY is one of tens of thousands of victims of a fast-growing new form of financial fraud called pig butchering. He asks to remain anonymous to protect his family. It started in October 2021 with a text message from a stranger. What was the name of the person you were communicating with? She claims her name is Jessica. The two quickly became friends. She shared photos and CY talked about the pain of caring for his dying father. After nearly a month, the conversation turned to money. She started to uh, um, introduce me into cryptocurrency, trading gold uh, using cryptocurrency. Jessica showed CY how to invest by installing a trading app on his phone that he says looked legit. Little did he know he was a victim pumping money into a sophisticated con. For the scammers, a pig fattened up for the slaughter. I logged back in. The account is gone. What did I do? That's 30 years of my wife and my, my life building up this, this wealth. Wealth that had suddenly disappeared. Panicking, CY begged Jessica for help. Please help me. I don't know what else I can do. I don't have any more money. I cannot borrow anything else. I lost everything. But Jessica disappeared and probably never even existed. This is the professionalization of fraud services. The FBI says it's seen exponential growth in losses due to pig butchering scams. The bad guys are getting good and they're getting better. An organization representing scam victims tracked their crypto transfers halfway around the world to this border region in Myanmar. U.S. scam victims say they've been able to trace their money to places like this. This walled compound across the river is just inside the territory of Myanmar. And that is where we're learning about the conditions inside that some people who work there 
they say that they were forced against their will to try to scam Americans out of their hard-earned money in conditions that they describe as amounting to modern-day slavery. This compound is where an Indian man named Rakesh says he was forced to work for more than 11 months without pay for a Chinese criminal gang. The guards have spotted us. Until they recently released him back to Thailand. Where was the job supposed to be? They told for me in Bangkok. He too was the victim of a scam. Rakesh, who doesn't want to be identified, says he first flew to Thailand for what he thought was an IT job. Instead, he says he was tricked into crossing the border to Myanmar, where a Chinese gangster told him to work or else. He threatened to kill you. Yeah. He warned me like that. And the job? Spend 16 hours a day on social media targeting Americans with a fake profile. Like they're providing for us. Uh, I got a Russian girl. Uh, with using a Russian girl fake profile, I need to scam the people. Posing as a Salt Lake City-based investor named Clara Simonov, Rakesh flirted online with potential targets. 70 to 80% fall for fake love. Rakesh shows secretly filmed images of what at first glance seems to be an ordinary office. But he says the bosses routinely punished workers, forcing them to do hundreds of squats and beating them if they didn't produce. And you've helped rescue people who are trapped inside behind the barbed wire yes. of that very compound. Yes. Michelle Moore is one of a group of aid workers based in Thailand who have helped rescue hundreds of victims of trafficking like Rakesh over the last 18 months. She drives me along the border. There, there's a guard tower just there, green roof showing compounds only a stone's throw away, where she says trafficked victims are forced to work as online scammers. That's why this is modern slavery. And it's right under everybody's nose. Satellite images show rapid construction of these compounds on the border territory of Myanmar over just three years. Thailand's Minister of Justice labels these facilities as hubs for criminal scamming activity. These scammers have to use telephone signals to communicate. That's why they base themselves near the Thai border, so they can use Thailand's telephone network. But he says Thailand has no jurisdiction to crack down on suspected criminals operating across the border in Myanmar. CNN asked the military government in Myanmar why it hasn't taken action against alleged criminal gangs operating on its territory and did not receive an answer. So for now, it looks like no one is going to stop this poisonous cycle of exploitation. Russian hackers were inside a Ukrainian telecom giant for months. Ukraine's cyber chief gives details on the most dramatic Russian hack since the war started. It's what he calls a big warning to the West. Russian hackers were inside Ukraine's telecoms giant Kyivstar for months last year, and when they attacked on December 12th, they knocked the operator completely offline and affected some 24 million users for days. Cyber chief for the security service of Ukraine, Ilya Vichuk, spoke to Reuters exclusively. He revealed fresh details from the agency's probe into the most dramatic hack since Russia's full-scale assault on Ukraine. This attack is a big, big message a big, big warning, not only to Ukraine, but for the whole world, for the whole Western world, to understand that no one is actually untouchable. Kyiv star 
In fact, it's a private company. It's a big company. It's a wealthy company. And they invest a lot in their cybersecurity. During its investigation, the SBU found the hackers probably attempted to penetrate Kyivstar in March or earlier. We can say securely that they were in the system at least since May 2023. I cannot say right now since what time they had this full access, probably at least since November. The destruction at Kyivstar began while the Ukrainian president was in Washington to press for more military aid. Ukrainians rushed to buy other SIM cards because of the attack. ATMs using Kyivstar cards for the internet ceased to work. But there were other more serious issues. The biggest problem was the, in some regions, air raid alerts weren't actually functioning properly. So when you cannot call the ambulance, etc. So of course, it caused a very, very big panic here in Ukraine. Vichuk said he was pretty sure a Russian cyber warfare unit, Sandworm, carried out the attack. They identified the unit from earlier unreported attacks on other Ukrainian telecoms operators and bodies. Luckily, we, Security Service of Ukraine, we could act proactively because we were inside of enemy's uh, system and we saw that they are inside. So we just came to, the, to this telecom operator, inspected it and found them. Ukrainian authorities assessed the hackers would have been able to steal personal information, understand the location of phones, intercept SMS messages and perhaps steal telegram accounts although the military was largely unaffected by the hack. Investigators are still working on how the break-in occurred and keeping their mind open to all possibilities. Of course, the possibility of the insider of some kind of treason is one of the version, uh, versions we are working on. Uh, but for now, as uh, there are no, uh, no one accused, I, I won't make this information public. Samples of the malware used to penetrate Kyivstar have been recovered and are being analyzed. Bichuk added that the SBU had thwarted over 4,500 major cyber attacks on Ukrainian governmental bodies and critical infrastructure last year. And staying in Europe, we have more short headlines from the UK, Germany and other countries. Russia has approved two presidential candidates for its election in March. One is Leonid Slutsky of the Nationalist Liberal Democratic Party. The other one is Vladislav Davinkov of the New People Party. Neither poses a significant challenge to current President Vladimir Putin. Slutsky is head of the Lower House of Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. Davinkov is a deputy speaker of the Lower House of Parliament. Both candidates' parties are largely supportive in Parliament of legislation backed by Putin's United Russia Party. Widespread reports of fraud dominated Russia's last election in 2021. European leaders are in France today paying homage to former EU Commission President Jacques Delors. The founding father of the EU's single currency project recently passed away. French President Emmanuel Macron hosted a ceremony in Paris today remembering Delors. Current EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and interim Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte were among the leaders attending. In the UK, some locals are swapping cars for boats today. Flooding forced them to paddle through the streets of a southwestern English county. 
Major rivers across Britain were flooded after heavy rain. The government issued more than 300 flood warnings. Around 1,000 homes suffered damage so far. The storms have also caused flooding in other parts of Europe in recent days. Germany is among the countries suffering from heavy rain this week. Storms hit at least four states. Germany employed the military in some areas to help place sandbags and take other measures. On top of the rain, Germany is now awaiting a cold front. This could freeze the water on the streets, causing dangerous situations for drivers. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited one affected state yesterday, promising to keep supporting locals there. This is not just a sign of solidarity that we are experiencing now, but this spirit of solidarity will also apply in the future, and we will not leave anyone alone. This goes for the federal government, for the states, and for many others together. This is what our country is. In Belgium, heavy rain suspended a key train connection. Belgium's train operator said it had halted services between Brussels and Luxembourg Thursday. That's because floodwaters had threatened a rail bridge. Travelers have to catch a bus instead. Just like in other parts of Europe, days of heavy rain led to flooding in Belgium. By now, levels are mostly subsiding again. And lastly, the weather in Finland was so cold this week it led to water freezing almost instantly outside. This video shows boiling water being thrown into the air. It then immediately turned into an arc of snow and ice. Finland is experiencing an exceptionally cold start to the year. Temperatures range from 5 degrees Fahrenheit in the south to minus 40 degrees in Lapland. Once a celebrated Paralympic star, Oscar Pistorius has been released on parole nearly 11 years after he shot and killed his girlfriend. The shocking crime took place on Valentine's Day in 2013 when Pistorius shot 29-year-old Riva Steenkamp through a locked bathroom door. Despite his claims of mistaking her for an intruder, Pistorius was convicted of murder. But a parole board recently granted his release. Footage from the prison showed a commotion as officers whisked him away. Pistorius is expected to live with his uncle in a wealthy suburb of Pretoria. Coming up, what we can eat can control how we feel. To find out how to use diet to our advantage, we'll speak with a nutritional psychiatrist about her new book, Calm Your Mind with Food. And an Italian food historian faces a stream of online abuse. The author is accused of culinary sacrilege for his take on a traditional dish. More shortly here on NTD News Today. As the first week of the year draws to a close, many of us are making efforts to get the year off to a good start. Nutritional psychiatrist and best-selling author Dr. Uma Naidu joined me here in the studio earlier to talk about the role of food in regulating our moods. She's just published a new book called Calm Your Mind with Food, a revolutionary guide to controlling your anxiety. So whether your goals this year relate to food or you're looking to support other goals with a diet that makes you feel great, here's some information to arm you on that journey. Dr. Uma, welcome. Great to have you on our show. Thanks so much, Steph. Great yeah. to be here. Yeah, and I'm so interested in learning more about this topic. You're an expert in the relationship between food and psychiatry. 
people are really wanting to get going with their goals. They're, they're already, you know, at the end of the first week of the first new year. Yeah. What can people do in regards to food to help stay motivated? I like people to think in um, small steps so that it's not overwhelming. So often I'll say to them, Steph, what's something that's bothering you, either an eating habit, a beverage habit, an exercise habit, whatever it is that's bothering you that kind of went a little awry in 2023 and stop there as a way to maybe push yourself forward and try to change that one thing. Maybe it's switching out the ice cream every night to a piece of fruit and a piece of extra dark chocolate, something that's actually going to calm your mind or help your mood versus something that's going to dampen it. What overall do you think people should do if they're wanting to take a gung-ho approach and just yeah. really clear things up for the yeah. new year? Well, one of the things we want to do is think about what are the foods we want to cut back on. We know that ultra-processed foods are full of colorants, dyes, stabilizers, food thickeners, things that are not good for our body, not good for our brain, and not good for our gut. So start to cut back on those. The more times you can eat a whole food, like eat an orange, skip the store-bought juice, which has all the fiber removed and often added sugar. So ultra-processed foods, junk foods, fast foods, not the best for us. The second category is added sugars. So there are tons of added sugars in our food. Um, if you're thinking of a probiotic-rich yogurt, get a plain yogurt and add some blueberries to it, put some cinnamon, because a small tub of yogurt can have up to eight teaspoons of added sugar in it, which is really not helping us. People often talk about wanting to cut back on drinking as yeah. part of their New Year's yeah. resolutions, but it can be difficult to stop you know, social yeah. drinking. Yes. Is there any other strategies that you have to s suggest ways yeah. people can get successful at that? Sure, it can be, you know, can be tough to have peer pressure and uh, sort of group pressure when we're going out and it's still kind of the holiday time. Um, so what I suggest to people is decide what you'd like to do. If, if you feel like maybe you've gone a little above and beyond over the holidays, try to cut back, try to switch it out with a glass of salsa, even if salsa and some fruits so you don't feel like you're not part of the party. Um, you know, drink in moderation and kind of follow your own path, what works for you. After and through the pandemic, anxiety has gotten to be front and center for everyone. And we know from research that anxiety has increased by 25%. So everyone is feeling a touch of it. And for that reason, I like to say to people, you know, there's a shopping, uh, anti-anxiety shopping list in my book. But as a cheat sheet, I give them C-A-L-M-S as a way to get started because we all are, you know, running into the supermarkets trying to get some foods but there are some that can actually help to calm the mind the C is for choline which you get from eggs or legumes vitamin C which you get from citrus fruit and also extra dark chocolate which people love and is actually great great for your brain a great brain food for mood and for anxiety A is for ashwagandha which is a supplement um, used for a very long time in Ayurveda um, and has a good amount of human clinical trials to help anxiety. Um, speak to your doctor, of course. And antioxidants, colorful vegetables, a kaleidoscope of colors, think about that. That's going to give you your antioxidants. Alice for liquids. When we are dehydrated, we can actually be, feel either depressed or even anxious. So making sure that you're hydrating with calming teas or just having a sustainable water bottle during the day, super important. M is for magnesium. Speak to your doctor about your magnesium levels. He or she will know what to check because many Americans are low in magnesium and low magnesium can make us feel anxious. 
and S is for spices and herbs. The spices and herbs in our kitchens are like the hidden gem because they have so many anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties that help our brain. So lean into those with all your recipes. Thank you so much, Dr. Uma Naidu. Really Thank you, Steph. Italy takes its culinary heritage and national identity seriously. A fight has broken out over how to make sauce for pasta carbonara. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the controversy surrounding the traditional dish. Luca Cesari is a food historian and author from Bologna. He faced a stream of online abuse after he posted a controversial video on Instagram. I dared to take a historical recipe for carbonara dating back to 1954, the first Italian recipe for carbonara, which was published in the Cucina Italiana magazine and simply remade it. The problem is that the first recipe is very different from the current one. His post showed what he said was the original version of pasta carbonara, a classic Roman dish. This has angered the carbonara purists who did not study history and think that our beautiful recipe has always remained identical to itself. Unfortunately, this is not the case and there have been hundreds of versions of carbonara. Italian pecorino cheese, cured pork cheek, and eggs are the traditional ingredients for the sauce. But Cesare's carbonara is made with Swiss Gruyere cheese, garlic, bacon, and scrambled eggs. I think it represents the key to tradition in the same way that Amatriciana or Casio e Pepe represent who we are. Most Roman cuisine comes from the traders who came down from the Apennines, so it recalls tradition 100%. Cesare says the original recipe was published in an Italian magazine almost 70 years ago. He and others claim the recipe evolved over the decades. As for the debate on who invented it, I don't think there is an inventor. I think it's a tradition, and as such, it evolved. In 1954, there was certainly someone who was already making it before the, I can't remember the name, the Cucina Italiana cookbook. Others suggest the recipe author wasn't accurate. Where did the author come from? Nonsense. Everyone has their reasons, but what reason does he have? You tell me. I don't know how to make carbonara. I must tell the truth. I don't know how to cook, but I know how to eat. Add it to the list of Italian culinary sacrilege. Other major violations include pairing pasta with ketchup, adding pineapple to pizza, and ordering a cappuccino after lunch. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And more and more Italians are breaking these unwritten rules. Renowned Naples pizza maestro Gina Sobillo has done the unthinkable. He added the dreaded P word to the menu at his restaurant. That's pineapple. The restaurant is on Via dei Tribunale, the best known pizza rest street in the world. This isn't just your regular Hawaiian, it's a pizza bianca, meaning it has no tomato base, sprinkled with three types of cheese with the pineapple cooked twice for a caramelized taste. Sir Billow said he created it to combat food prejudice, but it's creating quite the stir in Italy. It's been discussed on national TV, and no surprise there, but it's been bashed on social media too. Sir Billow says Italy is split in half about it, but asks, why shouldn't we rediscover pineapple pizza? With any luck, 2024 might just be the year that pineapple on pizza cracks Italy.
Well, if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today. Here are today's top stories. Efforts to kick former President Trump off the ballot playing out in more states. See the latest developments in Wyoming. Three years since the January 6th Capitol breach, we speak with the defendant in a D.C. jail on his reflections on that day. New evidence in the Biden family's alleged influence peddling scheme. A legal foundation says documents show Hunter Biden abused his connection to then-Vice President Joe Biden for his own gain. A new report from the House Democrats accusing former President Trump of improperly profiting from his presidency. How the Trump Organization responds. And over in South Africa, famed double amputee sprinter Oscar Pistorius is paroled nearly 11 years after killing his girlfriend. A once-a-year special treat, animals at the Berlin Zoo relish in a festive feast of crunchy Christmas trees. See them enjoy the annual tradition. This is NTD News Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stephania Cox and Chris Beers. A legal victory for former President Trump. A judge in Wyoming shuts down an attempt to remove him from the ballot in that state. Wyoming District Court Judge Misha Westby dismissed the case brought by former attorney Tim Newcomb. The plaintiff argued that Trump is not eligible to become president due to the 14th Amendment. He cited the January 6th Capitol breach and claimed that Trump violated his oath of office. The judge's ruling came as the Wyoming Secretary of State motioned to dismiss Newcomb's lawsuit. He called it a blatant, radical attempt to interfere with Wyoming's elections. But the plaintiff can still bring the case again. Several other judges have also, attempt, have also dismissed attempts to block Trump from appearing on ballots in other states. And new evidence in the Biden family's alleged influence peddling scheme. A legal foundation says new documents show the Biden family didn't separate private business dealings from official public affairs. During Biden's time as vice president, his son Hunter Biden was involved in planning for official state visits. That included visits from Chinese, German, and Turkish officials. America First Legal has received new records. The foundation says the records suggest the president's son leveraged his involvement. Hunter Biden allegedly influenced his father's meetings and, call and calendar for his own personal gain. For example, when then-Vice President Biden allegedly agreed to give a keynote speech at an event, the event was hosted by an organization whose board included his son. Hunter Biden allegedly lobbied his father to accept the invitation. Now some House Democrats are accusing former President Trump of improperly profiting from his presidency as well. The Trump Organization denied wrongdoing. Democrats on the House Oversight Committee published a report on Thursday. They asserted that Trump's businesses took in at least an estimated $7.8 million from 20 foreign governments during his term in violation of the Constitution. The outline payments mostly included spending on rent at the Trump Tower and the Trump World Tower, both in New York. They also included stays at the Trump International Hotels in Washington, D.C. and Las Vegas. The report also alleged that Trump allowed those payments to influence his foreign policy moves. 
A Trump Organization spokesperson told the Epic Times, quote, that narrative is insane. The spokesperson noted that the Trump Organization can't prevent people from making reservations through third-party booking websites. And Trump is reportedly set to appear in court again in the federal election case against him. The court is probing whether Trump can be prosecuted in the case or not. The election interference trial is scheduled to start in March. However, the court is still dealing with the question whether Trump can even be prosecuted for the allegations against him. Special counsel Jack Smith alleges Trump tried to illegally overturn the 2020 election. Lawyers for the former president, however, say Trump was still in office at the time and thus enjoys presidential immunity. They also point out that he was not impeached and convicted by Congress. NBC reports the court is set to hear those arguments on Tuesday, with Trump attending in person. Republican presidential candidates react to Thursday's high school shooting in Iowa. Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley both blaming the shooting on mental health issues. It is time that we deal with this in the way that we should deal with this. Instead of living in fear, let's do something about it. We have got to deal with the cancer that is mental health. We have to. During her CNN town hall Thursday night, Haley said the nation needs mental health reform and better security for schools. During a meeting with voters in Perry, Iowa, following the shooting, Ramaswamy slammed calls for stricter gun control over gun control access. He called them knee-jerk policy reactions. The presidential candidate said rather than guns, the real problem is the quote ailment at the heart and soul of our nation and our culture. He also agreed with a voter who said the problem is mental health. White House Budget Director Shalanda Young said today she is not optimistic about reaching a deal to avoid a partial government shutdown later this month. Congress returns to Washington next week to tackle upcoming deadlines for settling government spending through September. Republicans want to reduce discretionary spending and include border security provisions in the budget. Next, we have Mark Krikorian, Executive Director at the Center for Immigration Studies, for his insights. Mark, welcome. Entrenched troubles at the border. Give us a snapshot of the latest issues there and how government policies are impacting it. Well, the um, Biden administration created this problem by letting people, letting illegal immigrants go routinely who cross the border and ignoring or not using uh, requirements and tools that are in the law. So the Republicans who only have control one half of one branch of government, the House of Representatives, are trying to use that power over spending to uh, try to get the administration to do its job and not just let go illegal immigrants as they've been doing. The fight that um, has already been going on and is still underway is over funding for Ukraine and Taiwan and Israel and the administration added border security issues. So that's something, that's a fight that's going on in the Senate. And this now what we're talking about is a fight over um, actually government funding which is a different thing. The Senate fight is over an extra spending bill. And if they don't come to an agreement, the government doesn't shut down. Every, it's just that extra spending doesn't happen. This uh, fight over spending in the Homeland Security Department, mm -hmm. government funding is higher stakes because if they don't agree, then certain parts of the government would shut down until they pass a bill. And so what new dynamics are at play here in this and what do you expect? 
Well, um, usually when there's a fight that it potentially could shut down a partial shutdown of the government, the Republicans lose because it's a kind of political fight. It's sort of playing chicken, if you will, over parts of the government. Now, the army never shuts down. It's not that kind of thing. It's like whether national parks will be closed. That's sort of what's at stake. Nonetheless, it's a, um, a messaging war, as they say in Washington. In other words, who can politically put the blame on the other side? Usually, the Democrats win those because most of the media is, you know, is theirs. Um, we'll see if that's the case here. I think the Republicans have a stronger hand because the crisis at the border is so serious, so obvious, even lots of independents and even Democrats are saying the administration is simply doing a terrible job and this is politically damaging for them. So the Republicans probably have a stronger hand to play than they've had in earlier fights over potential government shutdown. And I want to look now at Texas. It's involved in numerous legal battles with the Biden administration over the border. Uh, can you discuss the key issues at play here and in terms of these legal disputes and uh, their potential impact? The basic question in a lot of these fights between the states and the federal government, a lot of lawsuits, but Texas in particular, because it's right on the border, is can, what role does a state have in helping enforce immigration laws? And this is something that came up some 10 years ago when Arizona tried to pass laws, uh, tried to pass a law that related to how it could help enforce federal immigration law if the feds weren't doing it. And so that's the issue here in Texas. The legislature there passed a bill that made it a state crime to illegally cross the border into Texas. That's a novel thing, um, but they're just following federal law and they're saying you could the, the the illegal immigrant in question could have the case could have his sentence waived if he agreed to voluntarily go back to Mexico, right. um, and if not, then he could go to jail. And the feds have filed suit. They filed suit last week to try to stop Texas from enforcing the federal immigration law, uh, you know, because the Biden administration is not doing. It. Yeah. So considering all of these uh, issues at play, uh, what prospects do you see for the potential to resolve the issues in, at the border, um, considering just the, the political climate that we're in? Ultimately, it's not gonna change until the root cause of this migration crisis has changed and he's sitting in the Oval Office. Uh, that it's, this is a political issue. The, until there's a change of administrations, this is not going to go away. But the, this Texas case, the most recent one about whether Texas can make illegal immigration a state crime is going to the Supreme Court. And there's a very different Supreme Court now than when it had this Arizona case 10 years ago that I referred to, and they kind of swatted Arizona down. So it could well be that Texas will prevail, which would be good, but the the good that Texas can do, the, the role they can play mm. is limited. Until the federal government changes its policies, uh, this is going to continue either for another year or another five years. All right. Okay, Mark Krikorian, Executive Director at the Center for Immigration Studies. Thank you so much. Thank you. It'll be three years on Saturday since the U.S. Capitol was breached.
Jake Lang and some other January 6 defendants have been held without a trial now for nearly as long. We spoke by phone to Jake to hear his reflections on this upcoming anniversary. Jake, January 6 is still an indelible memory in the minds of many three years on. And with vastly different takes on the events of that day, what perspective or voices do you think might not get the attention that's warranted about this anniversary? Oh, thank you for having me on, Stefani, again. God bless. Uh, there's been a, a concerted effort by the U.S. government uh, to stifle the voices of the protesters that day. Um, you know, through the whitewashing of uh, mainstream news media and the January 6th Select Committee, they've spun a false narrative that, you know, we were violent domestic terrorists. And so from the protesters' point of view, we were peacefully assembled, uh, redressing a grievance with our government. We believe the 2020 election was stolen. And uh, after uh, a great day of uh, supporting President Trump at his speech, we continued our protest at the United States Capitol and we were attacked by the Capitol Police and we defended ourselves and defended this constitutional republic. And so I think that that main part of the narrative from the protesters' perspective has been completely swiped underneath the rug, but is coming to fruition through great coverage like your guys. And lastly, Jake, after almost three years behind bars, some in solitary confinement, do you have any words of reflection on your experience that day and since? Of course. Um, I think the most profound takeaway from being a political prisoner in the United States of America is the reminder to my fellow citizens that freedom isn't free and that there is a cost to liberty in this country. And sometimes for a short while, God finds it in his uh, perfect plan to incarcerate or to put people in a certain place where they can serve his will. And it's woken up the entire country. Tens of millions of people have seen um, the, the grave danger of tyranny in this country and have now begun to pray more, begun to write letters and to become politically active and to be spiritually, emotionally, financially invested in the freedom and the ongoing experiment that this beautiful constitutional republic is. Hmm. And I'm proud to be a Jan 6 patriot and I'm proud to be uh, an American uh, constitutionalist. Jake Lang, thank you so much. God bless you. And this Saturday, on the three-year anniversary of January 6th, the Epic Times is releasing part two of their original documentary, The Real Story of January 6th. You can watch the premiere at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on Epic TV. And next week, I'll be speaking with Joe Hanneman, Epic Times journalist and co-producer of the documentary, to learn more about what he uncovered in the making of the film. Be sure to tune in. Coming up, a pharma company that pinned its hopes on a COVID-19 drug files for bankruptcy. Find out what went wrong. And activists at Berkeley are arrested. The university awaits court decision for a new project. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. A COVID-19 drug developer has filed for voluntary bankruptcy. The company, Humanogen, was struggling to get regulatory approval for its COVID-19 treatment. The California-based company was once controlled by convicted pharma executive Martin Schreckelli. 
Humanogen had pinned its hopes on COVID-19 drug Lenzilumab, but the FDA declined emergency use authorization for it in 2021. The company had inked several contracts to manufacture the antibody medicine, but the FDA said it was unable to overlook the potential risks. Drug maker Eli Lilly says it's against using its drugs Zepbound and Munjaro for cosmetic weight loss. The drugs are part of the booming new class of medicines being taken to shed pounds. In an open letter on its website, it said the drugs are for treating serious diseases. It says they're not approved for and should not be used for cosmetic weight loss. It also said it doesn't promote or encourage the use of any of its medications outside of what the Food and Drug Administration has approved them for. Manjaro is approved for people with type 2 diabetes. Zepbound is newly approved for people who are obese or for overweight people with weight-related health conditions such as high cholesterol or high blood pressure. Police officers in riot gear removed activists from Berkeley's People's Park Thursday. The university is hoping to turn the area into a place for student housing, but has met stiff resistance. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Crews began placing double-stacked shipping containers to wall off Berkeley's historic People's Park overnight. The university hopes a court decision will allow it to build much-needed student housing. Last February, the lower court ruled against the project. The university appealed. We are currently awaiting the, um, the re resolution of a legal matter before the California State Supreme Court, uh, which we are uh, anticipating will be in our favor. And as soon as that happens, we will begin construction on the student housing. Authorities arrested seven people Thursday on misdemeanor trespassing charges. Police say they were cited and released. Those who opposed the project claim that the university failed to study the potential noise issues. Right, everything is, is being privatized now. So we see the People's Park as being one of the few places left where you could sit down on a bench, you could talk with your neighbors. There are trees. The proposed housing would accommodate more than 1,000 students and 125 formerly homeless people. So that means more than 1,100 undergraduate students currently attending Berkeley who will no longer have to compete in the private housing market here in Berkeley, which we know is one of the tightest housing markets in the nation. Part of the park would be preserved to commemorate its significance in the civil rights movement. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Many car thieves continue to prey on certain older Kia and Hyundai models. Theft insurance claims for these vulnerable vehicles shot up more than 1,000% between 2020 and 2023, according to the Highway Loss Data Institute. The group says some Hyundai and Kia models from 2015 to 2019 aren't equipped with basic prevention technology like electric immobilizers. And after social media videos showing how to illegally start these cars went viral, thefts went up more. Hyundai and Kia recently agreed to a $200 million settlement with millions of car owners regarding the lack of security software. Both automakers say they've been working alongside local police departments to hand out steering locks to drivers of affected models. Criminal gangs, apparently based in war-torn Burma, also known as Myanmar, are scamming millions of dollars online from thousands of unsuspecting Americans and they're forcing human trafficking victims to do their dirty work. A CNN correspondent filed this report from the Thailand border. 
Please help me, Jessica. Please help me. It's been a living hell. In Northern California, CY is piecing together his life after losing more than a million dollars in a crypto scam. I can never forget or forgive myself losing that kind of money. CY is one of tens of thousands of victims of a fast-growing new form of financial fraud called pig butchering. He asks to remain anonymous to protect his family. It started in October 2021 with a text message from a stranger. What was the name of the person you were communicating with? She claims her name is Jessica. The two quickly became friends. She shared photos and CY talked about the pain of caring for his dying father. After nearly a month, the conversation turned to money. She started to uh, um, introduce me into cryptocurrency, trading gold uh, using cryptocurrency. Jessica showed CY how to invest by installing a trading app on his phone that he says looked legit. Little did he know he was a victim, pumping money into a sophisticated con. For the scammers, a pig fattened up for the slaughter. I logged back in. The account is gone. What did I do? That's 30 years of my wife and my, my life building up this, this wealth. Wealth that had suddenly disappeared. Panicking, CY begged Jessica for help. Please help me. I don't know what else I can do. I don't have any more money. I cannot borrow anything else. I lost everything. But Jessica disappeared and probably never even existed. This is the professionalization of fraud services. The FBI says it's seen exponential growth in losses due to pig butchering scams. The bad guys are getting good and they're getting better. An organization representing scam victims tracked their crypto transfers halfway around the world to this border region in Myanmar. U.S. scam victims say they've been able to trace their money to places like this. This walled compound across the river is just inside the territory of Myanmar. And that is where we're learning about the conditions inside that some people who worked there, they say that they were forced against their will to try to scam Americans out of their hard-earned money in conditions that they describe as amounting to modern-day slavery. This compound is where an Indian man named Rakesh says he was forced to work for more than 11 months without pay for a Chinese criminal gang. The guards have spotted us. Until they recently released him back to Thailand. Where was the job supposed to be? They told for me in Bangkok. He too was the victim of a scam. Rakesh, who doesn't want to be identified, says he first flew to Thailand for what he thought was an IT job. Instead, he says he was tricked into crossing the border to Myanmar, where a Chinese gangster told him to work or else. He threatened to kill you. Yeah. He warned me like that. And the job? Spend 16 hours a day on social media targeting Americans with a fake profile. Like they're providing for us. Uh, I got a Russian girl. Uh, with using a Russian girl fake profile, I need to scam the people. Posing as a Salt Lake City-based investor named Clara Simonov, Rakesh flirted online with potential targets. 70 to 80% fall for fake love. Rakesh shows secretly filmed images of what at first glance seems to be an ordinary office. But he says the bosses routinely punished workers, forcing them to do hundreds of squats 
and beating them if they didn't produce. And you've helped rescue people who are trapped inside behind the barbed wire yes. of that very compound. Yes. Michelle Moore is one of a group of aid workers based in Thailand who have helped rescue hundreds of victims of trafficking like Rakesh over the last 18 months. She drives me along the border. There, there's a guard tower just there, green roof. Showing compounds only a stone's throw away, where she says trafficked victims are forced to work as online scammers. That's why this is modern slavery. And it's right under everybody's nose. Satellite images show rapid construction of these compounds on the border territory of Myanmar over just three years. Thailand's Minister of Justice labels these facilities as hubs for criminal scamming activity. These scammers have to use telephone signals to communicate. That's why they base themselves near the Thai border, so they can use Thailand's telephone network. But he says Thailand has no jurisdiction to crack down on suspected criminals operating across the border in Myanmar. CNN asked the military government in Myanmar why it hasn't taken action against alleged criminal gangs operating on its territory and did not receive an answer. So for now, it looks like no one is going to stop this poisonous cycle of exploitation. The U.S. says Google violated a labor law by refusing to bargain with a union that represents contract workers for YouTube music. Google said it shouldn't be considered the employer of those workers who are provided by a staffing company. In a Wednesday decision, the National Labor Relations Board rejected that argument. The group of YouTube music workers voted 41 to 0 last April to join the Alphabet Workers Union. The Labor Board in July upheld the election results. It rejected Google's claim that it doesn't have enough control over the workers and said Google is a joint employer that must bargain with their union. The U.S. federal authority is now backing that up. And more on Google. The company is rolling out a test to eliminate cookies that track your behavior in its new Chrome browser. Cookies are the little programs that track you on the internet and why you may see an ad for jeans seconds after you search for them. Instead of using, instead of using cookies, Google has its own software tools designed to replace them. The company wants to get rid of cookies in Chrome by the end of the year. Some are cheering the change, while others worry Google could corner the market for targeted advertising by eliminating third-party cookies. For this initial test rollout, only 1% of Google Chrome users will be impacted. And Verizon customers could get $100 thanks to the settlement of a class action lawsuit. The lawsuit alleged Verizon was charging customers undisclosed administration fees in a, quote, deceptive and unfair manner. Verizon denies any wrongdoing, but agrees to pay $100 million to settle the lawsuit. Current and former customers charged administrative fees between January 1, 2016 and November 8, 2023, are eligible to receive up to $100. Those who are eligible will be notified via email or will receive a letter in the mail. You must file a claim by April 15th to receive a payment. Coming up, tensions escalate after North Korea fired over 200 artillery shells near a disputed maritime border. How did Seoul respond to what it called the act of provocation? And countries across Europe are affected by heavy flooding this week. Find out why the dangers are still high, although water is now subsiding. All we'll the details soon when we return.
North Korea fired hundreds of artillery rounds this morning near a disputed maritime border with South Korea. The move prompted South Korea to respond with live fire drills. South Korea's military told residents of two nearby islands to evacuate to bomb shelters before firing towards the disputed northern limit line border. South Korea's military said there was no civilian or military damage, but called the move an act of provocation which threatens peace on the Korean peninsula. North Korea's leader Kim Jong-un said in a party meeting last week that North Korea now sees South Korea as an enemy state. He further remarked that unification with the South was not possible and that Pyongyang was fundamentally changing its policy towards the South. And the death toll from Japan's powerful earthquake has risen to at least 94. More people are still unaccounted for. Bad weather slammed the region following the earthquake. This eyewitness video captured the moment residents escaped from a landslide. The landslide crashed down on a road, downed power lines, and destroyed several houses in its path. A crack is seen developing on the road. According to the local government and the quake zone, 222 people are still unaccounted for. More than 400 people have been injured. Over 33,000 residents evacuated their homes. Rescue efforts are ongoing. And the U.S. will be sending aid to Japan. The U.S. ambassador to Japan said military logistical support, food and other supplies are being readied. The $100,000 aid package will include resources such as blankets, water and medical supplies. Japan is in talks with the U.S. about emergency assistance and rejected offers for help from other countries for the time being. An unnamed U.S. official told Reuters that U.S. troops based in Japan could become involved. Staying in Japan, crews have begun clearing the charred wreckage of the Japan Airlines plane at Tokyo's Haneda Airport. Investigators are still trying to find out what caused the deadly aircraft collision on Tuesday. The wreckage should now be removed by Sunday and will then be inspected by Tokyo police. Haneda Airport expects to reopen the runway by next Monday. Officials say they have recovered the flight data recorder from the passenger jet, but they have not yet found the cockpit voice recorder. Authorities have already discovered both the flight and voice data recorders from the Coast Guard plane. Transport authorities want to establish why the Coast Guard plane entered the runway as the airliner was landing. The captain of the Coast Guard plane, who is the sole survivor on that plane, is under close scrutiny. Staying in Europe, we have more short headlines from the UK, Germany and other countries. Russia has approved two presidential candidates for its election in March. One is Leonid Slutsky of the National Liberal Democratic Party. The other one is Vladislav Davenkov of the New People Party. Neither poses a significant challenge to current President Vladimir Putin. Slutsky is head of the Lower House of Parliament's Foreign Affairs Committee. Davenkov is a deputy speaker of the Lower House of Parliament. Both candidates' parties are largely supportive in Parliament of legislation backed by Putin's United Russia Party. Widespread reports of fraud dominated Russia's last election in 2021. European leaders are in France today paying homage to former EU Commission President Jacques Delors. The founding father of the EU's single currency project recently passed away. French President Emmanuel Macron hosted a ceremony in Paris today remembering Delors. Current EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban and interim Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte were among the leaders attending. 
in the UK. Some locals are swapping cars for boats today. Flooding forced them to paddle through the streets of a southwestern English county. Major rivers across Britain were flooded after heavy rain. The government issued more than 300 flood warnings. Around 1,000 homes suffered damage so far. The storms have also caused flooding in other parts of Europe in recent days. Germany is among the countries suffering from heavy rain this week. The storms hit at least four states. Germany employed the military in some areas to help place sandbags and take other measures on top of the rain. Germany is now awaiting a cold front. This could freeze the water on the streets, causing dangerous situations for drivers. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz visited one affected state yesterday, promising to keep supporting locals there. This is not just a sign of solidarity that we are experiencing now, but this spirit of solidarity will also apply in the future, and we will not leave anyone alone. This goes for the federal government, for the states, and for many others together. This is what our country is. In Belgium, heavy rain suspended a key train connection. Belgium's train operator said it had halted services between Brussels and Luxembourg Thursday. That's because floodwaters have threatened a rail bridge. Travelers have to catch a bus instead. Just like in other parts of Europe, days of heavy rain led to flooding in Belgium. By now, levels are mostly subsiding again. And lastly, the weather in Finland was so cold this week, it led to water freezing almost instantly outside. This video shows boiling water being thrown into the air. It then immediately turned into an arc of snow and ice. Finland is experiencing an exceptionally cold start to the year. Temperatures range from 5 degrees Fahrenheit in the south to minus 40 degrees in Lapland. Coming up, double amputee sprinter Oscar Pistorius is out of jail nearly 11 years after killing his girlfriend. Dave Martin joins us to discuss his sudden rise and fall. And NASA and two private companies work together for a new mission to the moon. The first launch is expected on Monday, more shortly here on NTD News Today. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, Oscar Pistorius, the famous Olympic double amputee sprinter, was paroled from prison today after serving nine years for murdering his girlfriend. Um, how has the victim's family responded to this? Yes, Reva Steenkamp, her mother, she said she did not oppose uh, his parole, but that's just because she said she didn't have the energy to, to face him. Now, her father sadly passed away in April. Now, her mother also said she doesn't believe anybody, uh, she doesn't believe the story he stuck to, that, which is that he thought she was an intruder in their bathroom in the middle of the night. She doesn't know anybody that's believed that. And that seems to be the sentiment of locals. You know, in fact, in his initial court hearings a decade ago, it drew a lot of outrage from people in the area calling for a harsher sentence. I believe initially he was given a lighter sentence equivalent to um, manslaughter, but after plenty of outrage, they, they made it more serious. Now, this happened at the height of his celebrity. I mean, not long after he amazingly made the Olympics. Now, even though he's young enough to probably continue sprinting, I believe he's 37 years old, it seems unlikely any event would be, wouldn't be associated with him anymore. Certainly any more sponsors wouldn't want to, so it's quite a fall from grace. And now in basketball, the NBA fined the Brooklyn Nets $100,000 for sitting out several healthy players last week in a loss to Milwaukee. Why is the NBA worried about this? 
You know, when you're asking fans to pay hundreds of dollars for tickets and only to show up and see their star players are being rested, it's pretty disappointing. I mean, imagine if both, both teams playing did that. I mean, no one would really want to pay to see that kind of game. This had become very popular in recent seasons. It's known as load management, where you'd pick some strategic games to rest your best players, usually on the second of a back-to-back -back where you're playing two games in a row. Now, interestingly, this got some publicity when one of their players, Mikel Bridges, actually complained in the media about having to rest. I'm sure that put this whole thing on the NBA's radar. So I'm guessing the Nets will think twice about doing that again. Right. Now, Dave, baseball star Wander Franco appeared in a Dominican court Friday on allegations that he had a brief relationship with a minor. That's according to a report by the Associated Press. What's his status now in the big leagues? Well, he was placed on administrative leave by Major League Baseball all the way back in August, which means he's not really on the roster, but he's still getting paid pending the outcome of all this. Now, the detailed allegations today are that the minor was a 14-year-old, Franco was 22, and that he allegedly paid the girl's mother for her consent and even bought her a car. He's being accused of sexual exploitation and money laundering. The girl's mother faces the same accusations, though neither has been charged at this point. So I gotta say, even if he wins the case and is reinstated from a public relations standpoint, it's really gonna be tough to come back from this and play in the big leagues again. I mean, it's a shame because he's probably one of the best young players in the game, if not the best, so it could be quite a loss here. All right, thank you, Dave. Yeah. Thanks, guys. All right, and in health news, constantly entertaining kids with phones can deprive their developing minds of cognitive benefits. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. In our modern world of smartphones and infinite scrolling, boredom is rare for today's youth, but their mental health may depend on it. Psychologists argue that a lack of boredom may actually stifle creativity and fulfillment. That's because boredom is the bedrock on which growing kids create their own ideas. Excessive digital entertainment often deprives kids of this boredom as it hinders imagination. Researchers have found that social networks and smartphone use may correlate with learning consequences. These consequences include low academic outcomes, reduced concentration and reduced creativity. Science continues to prove the close relationship between social media and poor mental health among teens. For social media addicted teenagers, certain life skills like problem solving and resilience are often lacking. This is according to a 2021 study that was published in the Journal of Education and Health Promotion. Entertainment can also discourage kids from creating. That's if they compare their performance to the content they consume. In contrast, watching a thought-provoking documentary or attending a concert can stimulate creativity. According to psychologists, boredom builds basic life skills. We might have a habit of swiping or scrolling our boredom away. When we do this, we don't allow our minds to wonder and find creative solutions to our boredom. But solving boredom hones problem solving. This is linked to better mental health. According to a study in the International Journal of Preventative Medicine, problem-solving ability may even predict depression and anxiety. Independent problem-solving is a way to help children and teens build self-agency, self-esteem and confidence. Another benefit to boredom, it helps children, teenagers and adults manage stressful emotions and adversity. It prepares us for greater challenges in life. We often have to use planning, strategy and problem-solving to eliminate boredom. This is good for children, teens and adults. It's been more than five decades since the end of NASA's Apollo program. Now, two private companies hope to get the U.S. back to the moon. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on the latest lunar mission.
NASA is supporting an effort to kickstart commercial moon deliveries. Astrobotic technology is set to launch a lunar lander Monday aboard United Launch Alliance's brand new Vulcan rocket. Intuitive Machines aims to launch a lander in mid-February, hitching a ride with SpaceX. The two companies, one in Pittsburgh, one in Houston, are putting their own um, money into this to uh, pick up clients along the way. Each company plans to send multiple landers to the moon, but this will be the first their first tries. The United States has not attempted a moon landing since Apollo 17 in 1972. Mars became the new frontier. Before we send astronauts all the way to Mars, which is a six-month journey under um, current circumstances, then you got to spend about a year there, then bring them back. I mean, that's a two-year expedition, minimum maybe three. Um, you know, get some training and practice on the moon. Intuitive machines should land within a week of liftoff. Astrobotic will take two weeks to get to the moon. After a month in lunar orbit, its spacecraft will attempt to land on February 23rd. But both missions have already suffered delays, so either company could end up reaching the moon first. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And now you can go to the moon without even leaving your home. NASA is inviting members of the public to send their names to the moon aboard its first ever robotic lunar ro rover called Viper. The rover will be heading to the moon's south pole where it will study the water and environment there. You have until March 15th to submit your name to NASA's website where you will also be able to download a boarding pass featuring your name. The true colors of Uranus and Neptune may be more similar than previously thought. A team at the University of Oxford used two different telescopes, including the Hubble, to capture new data. Then they applied that data to the original Voyager 2 images. The corrected images show that Neptune and Uranus have a similar greenish-blue hue. Over 30 years ago, NASA's Voyager 2 mission flew by Uranus and Neptune, capturing the first close-up images. At the time, Uranus appeared to be a pale greenish-blue color, while Neptune was depicted as a shrinking deep blue. And Maryland officials discovered an unburied treasure. Staffers at Assateague State Park say a nearly 15-foot-long ship piece washed up, washed up on the beach last month. The state's historic trust determined the wooden fragment came from some sort of vessel that dates back to the mid to late 1800s. They say it appears to have been a deck timber. The piece was tagged so it can be tracked if it makes landfall again. And in Tokyo's largest fish market, a giant tuna fetched a whopping sum of nearly $800,000 at the annual New Year auction. Weighing over 520 pounds, this bluefin tuna sale is the fourth highest ever recorded since tracking began in 1999. The winning bid came from an upscale sushi restaurant in Tokyo. Today's auction began with a moment of silence in honor of the recent earthquakes in Japan. Elephants and other animals at Berlin Zoo got a special treat after Christmas, unsold Christmas treats. This yearly tradition has become a popular event that attracts more visitors. The zoo doesn't accept private tree donations. Instead, they work with Christmas tree sellers who pack up the unsold trees and deliver them to the zoo. This year, they received two truckloads full of trees. As quickly as the elephants eat them, we assume they taste good. It's a very special delicacy and treat because, of course, they're only available at this time of year, after Christmas. 
We don't have such a great need for Christmas trees here at the zoo all year round. A fortunate Ancilla, a type of tiger cat, is now free after being saved from smugglers. The beautiful cat was released into the wild in northwest Colombia. This Ancilla had to spend six months in rehabilitation, recovering from malnutrition, malnourishment and injuries suffered in captivity. The species is vulnerable and faces threats from habitat destruction and illegal hunting. And that's all for today's news. Thank you for tuning in. Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. And we'll be back with more stories on Monday.